and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Is the glorious sunshine off Bradley Whale. Um, hi Bradley. Hello. Um, Bradley is an osteopath. That's the right term for you, isn't it? So I know yes. there's all sorts of different things that people probably call you. <laughs> yes, yes, they do call me quite a lot of things. So, um, But Bradley's on today um, partly because he's an osteopath and that's great and it's really interesting, but most importantly because actually Bradley has completely redesigned a saddle, which some people might say, oh, you know, what do you mean to redesign saddle? There's there's lots of people out there that say that all the time. But you really have, haven't you, Bradley? Uh, yeah, I kind of um, upset the industry a little bit um, because, yeah, I've it changed it from top to bottom. Um, so, yeah, it's quite scary. Um, but hopefully in a good way. Um, rewritten some laws and some principles, which is quite interesting. So tell us a little bit then about how you've come from being an osteo, working with humans and horses mostly, to having done a complete redesign on saddles from from the ground up, really, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, well, uh, that starts with, and it's going to sound really weird, it starts with philosophy. Um, because um, when you look at kind of horses and riders and kind of the way horses move and various things like that, and you look at the saddle in between, it becomes uh, quite fascinating because horses and riders, they kind of want different things out of the saddle. You know, horses want flexibility out of the saddle. Riders want stability out of the saddle. So you've got these two massively diametrically posing um, theories and principles. Um, and you either get a saddle which is a treed saddle and it kind of gives structure and form, and that's brilliant for the rider. But then you have treeless saddles, which are nice and pliable and flexible and brilliant for the horse. And you have this kind of argument between the two camps and you have an argument between the saddle fitters. So when I was kind of looking, I've been treating horses and riders for years, donkeys years. Um, so I kind of started to get a little bit frustrated because I was kind of going, well, why are we having this difficulty between horses and riders and saddles and so on and so forth and there's so many different options and so many different variations and a lot of consumers a lot of riders don't know about the different variations of saddles and trees because it's not just as simple as a dressage saddle a jumping saddle you've got plastic trees you've got carbon fiber trees you've got wooden trees and you've got different twist angles you've got different twist widths you've so many variations which people truly don't understand um, or consumers don't. The, the industry does, the fitters do, but it's, it's really difficult. So I kind of looked at it and I just went, hang on, it's not working. There's something in this whole industry which isn't kind of working well enough. You know, it's working for some and it's not working for everybody. Um, so we kind of sat down and went, well, okay, what's the most, what's the thing everybody wants? You know, everybody wants uh, something for themselves, which works for their horse and which works for them. Um, and we kind of, I sat down and I was like, well, the ultimate kind of uh, saddle would be a saddle made in two halves because you've got this diametrically opposing kind of philosophy of, of horse and rider. So why hasn't that been done? You know, and you sit down and you go, there's various companies that are out there which are trying to do something very similar. Um, and I don't know if I can say names or anything like that, but they're very well known. Um, 
and one is a cantilever saddle and one is what we call a modular saddle fantastic companies and they're brilliant but the problem is is that they inherently have their own problems you know uh, the modular saddle design is fantastic in theory but in practicality you kind of need a small mechanics degree kind of trying to correct it and kind of make adjustments um the cantilever saddle is again brilliant but because it's a cantilever design it creates inadvertently kind of more pressure and exaggeration of forces, which then has to have dampeners on it in order to reduce those uh, forces which are occur because of the rider. So you sit there and go, right, well, let's have a look at everything. Let's not just look at saddle design. Let's look at the way we fit saddles. So then I looked at fitting and I trained as a, a remedial saddle fitter to kind of understand more detail about it. And I realized that when we say, oh, it, it's got to be on the wither or off the wither. And now there's a huge amount of disparity between different fitters because some fitters say it should be one inch behind the wither. Some say it should be two inches behind the wither. Now, is that the left shoulder or is that the right shoulder? Because the shoulders are in different positions because horses are trained asymmetrically because riders are asymmetrical. So you then start looking at, you could potentially have a two or three inch difference in saddle length, let alone widths and various things like that because of muscle buildup. And you sit there and go, well, well hang on, this, this fundamentally is a bit of an issue because if you have kind of saddle fitter A turning around and goes, right, I need a 17 inch saddle for this horse and saddle fitter B which comes along two years later might turn around and go well actually you don't need a 17 inch because that shoulder is rotating underneath the point of the tree and that's causing compression and problems we actually need a 16 inch or a 15 inch tree and it's you're kind of going well fundamentally your theory and your philosophy of fitting are different so you look at it and go well everybody's shooting for trying to do the right thing with different theories and different principles. Now that is also facilitated by kind of the manufacturers and the company and saddle makers because everybody works and manufactures their trees to a different theory and fitting principle. So that creates another level of complexity. So you sit there and kind of go, when you've waded through all of this with different manufacturers, and I've spoken to many, and I've spoken to thousands of different customers and saddle makers, saddle fitters, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And you sit there and go, everybody's shooting to get ultimately the same goal, to make a saddle which works for the horse and works for the rider. But we, our fundamental principle is kind of a little bit flawed. So, I then went back and went, well, how, what, what can be the universal language which we could all use? Um, and I was like, well, it has to be maths and it has to be mathematics. So I went around and I, I, I used to be a professional athlete. So I, I used to kind of row for Great Britain and various things like that. So and in that kind of training process and so on and so forth, I got measured and fitted to a rowing boat. Sounds a bit weird. But I had my femur lengths measured, my arm lengths measured and everything so that I could get the most amount of force and pull and push out of the boat to move it as quickly as possible. And I was looking at fitting and going, well, hang on, we do this for rowing. We do this for kind of cycling. We do this for various other professions. Now, why don't we do that level of mathematics and measuring 
for horses and riders because there's two you know you've got a quadruped and you've got a biped so I then went back and went okay let's 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 break it down again let's look at why can't we measure and do because riding is all geometry when you think about it so when we look at horses and riders when you look at a rider on top of a horse you kind of go right head hip and heel all have to be in vertical alignment if you have the the heel further forward and that creates a chair position which means that the rider then is putting more weight through the seat than rather through the heel and they're not balanced and then when they're doing rising trot they're putting their weight further forward so on and so forth it causes all of these compressions and difficulties for the horse as well because it means that the rider's moving around too much so you sit there and go well actually hang on if i know the length of the femur and i know the length of the tibia well that's just a big triangle so that's just trigonometry and i hated maths when i was younger so i i really apologize so i i had to literally go back to college and learn mathematics again it was horrible um but i did it um but then you kind of look at that and go well okay well with our next thing is that we want a pelvis in a neutral position well okay if i know your pelvis width and i know your bum size it sounds really horrible but if i know the size of your bum i don't um, think i want anyone knowing my bum no, size no. Bradley, you know like <laughs> i know but, but let's it, go back it, to maths it, yeah <laughs> But if you if you know that, I can then position your pelvis into a neutral position. And you sit there and go, well, okay, that that then becomes almost obvious. It becomes a, a, a really simple, easily replicatable process rather than this kind of guesswork. Um, and you sit there and go, well, that that is infinitely a lot easier to do for your customer because if there's any issues such as you know the person's a teenager and they're growing well you can't help that and you can make adjustments according to that but once somebody's finished growing in height and bone length you sit there and go well that's that's it that's 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 what you want um we then kind of did the same thing for horses um and again with horses a little bit controversial is that as I said earlier, there's a massive disparity in fitting where you kind of go, right, is it on the wither, one inch behind the wither, two inches behind the wither, blah, blah, blah. But we all work to the 18th rib. Our saddles all never should really go back further than the 18th rib. Now, there is a bit of controversy in that. And I, that I could go and talk for hours on that one, but I'm not going to, so I will avoid that. But as a general rule of thumb, you never go beyond the 18th rib. Now, if we use, if we look at it the opposite way and we go, well, why don't you start at the 18th rib and then go forwards? Because what that means is then it doesn't, in terms of lengths, you've got a fixed point in space to work from rather than this kind of weird amorphic position, which some people agree with, some people don't. Um, and then what we've done is actually gone, well, why don't we separate the two trees? So we have a, a saddle, which is two separate trees, one for the horse and one for the rider. And the beauty about it is, is that they're freely interchangeable. So you could have a dressage top, okay, or a dressage tree for the rider. And you could have, say, you've got three horses, you will have three bottoms. 
one for each horse. Now, you, that doesn't matter if you have a horse with a really high wither and then you have like a cob with a really wide, low wither and so on and so forth, or a thoroughbred as the third one. There's none of this chopping saddles in between. There's none of this kind of going, well, okay, well, I need this saddle type for this horse and I need that saddle type for that horse and I need that saddle type for that or that brand for that horse. It's going, well, okay, you've got three bottoms. They all click in. So you have your top and it clicks into the bottom and then you go, well, I'm going to ride horse number two today. So you lift it off and click it into the second one. And it's always made to your measurements. So you're always balanced. You're always comfortable. Now, in doing that, I then also kind of looked at saddle fitting and how we use shims and various things like that. And we previously in one of your uh, podcasts, you uh, spoke to a lovely lady called Julie. She talked about sh- kind of shimming and various things like that. Now, that in itself is fascinating because we can, what, what I did being extra nerdy was, well, I went, well, why don't we shim the rider and the horse? So I then developed the rider tree so that it could have shims put into the rider tree to correct any natural imbalances present with the rider. And you sit there and go, and that helps with the measuring. Because if you're measuring at the beginning, you're going, oh, hang on, you actually have one leg longer than the other, structurally longer than the other. That's, that's not me. Yeah, that's <laughs> not your fault. No. You sit there and go... <laughs> But your problem is, is, is currently, and the current principle is that you would then shim the horse. Now, the problem is, is shimming has a two-way effect. It lifts the, the saddle, but it also pushes down against the horse. So, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Good old Einstein. Um, so you sit there and go, right, well, I need to be able to adjust one independently of the other. And that's where kind of the two-part design really comes into its own because it means that I can then independently shim your horse and then that's that bottom part is with the horse. Whilst then you go to the rider and you go shim it for the rider. It's absolutely fine. So I'm hearing then so if we so you know me and my horse well you've treated my horses for years uh, recently allowed you to treat me which was an experience no it was why you sorted out some stuff that, and actually told me what well, I genuinely had one leg longer than the other so that's why I have problems getting my stirrups yeah. level and things like that which is actually really useful to know however it doesn't take away the fact that you then start to say it's always chicken and egg isn't it with horses and riders is my horse um so he's a little weaker on the left hind let's say and yeah. I'm slightly twisted because my right leg's slightly longer right yeah. so Right. Okay. So is it that my younger, he's not so young now, he's nine, but he was when I got him, he was six, you know, younger horse. Is it that he's weak on his left, so he's shifting me? Is it that I'm shifting him, which is going on here? But actually what I'm hearing now is that if you can saddle him to what works for him and his body, and you can yeah. you can get me in a way that's balanced. You take away the chicken and the egg then, can't you? Yeah. Because you can, well, you can adjust me so that we can sort that. And yeah, we'll still need to do physio or whatever for him, what have you. But you can look at those two elements. And I don't think anyone's ever been isolated. Those no. And, and this is the thing is that this is really quite revolutionary is that we have the ability to isolate between the two. Now, this is why we do all the measuring, because it's really important, because we can turn around and go, right, you structurally have one leg longer than the other. You know, your bone growth is actually longer on one femur than the other. 
And that's not a judgment, that's, that's not a problem. But you're gonna then have muscular compensations into your pelvis, into your lower back. Now, what that means is that gives us, a manufacturer or a saddle fitter, a huge amount of power and knowledge to be able to go, right, we can correct those. But correcting a muscular imbalance is gonna be different than correcting a structural imbalance. But if you don't know the difference, you're in trouble. So, because, and that's where the beauty comes into it. So, the devil is truly in the detail, and no saddle company is looking at the that at that level of detail. Um, and the thing is, is, is you know, we are controversial in terms of having the two-part design. We deliberately put the stirrup bars further back than what is normal on a on a normal tree. Um, again, we have a the, the reason why we've done that is because humans, when we are standing, we're inherently balanced. Um, so because what you do is is when you stand, you put your weight through your feet. Um, now, if you have your stirrup bars further forward on a tree, um, what that means is you then sit in a chair-like position. So your weight is then unevenly distributed. Whilst if your feet are underneath the your pelvis, you are in a balanced position. Now, the difficulty with that is that means that you have to be very flexible in your calves, in your Achilles tendon, so on and so forth. So sometimes you may not, it, we, we kind of have inadvertently um, perpetuated this kind of moving the stirrup bars further forward in the tree means that you don't have to be as flexible in the Achilles tendon or the calf muscle as you should be. Um, so we are we are kind of almost cheating ourselves and creating another problem because of our inability to work and be flexible upon our, upon ourselves. So you've got this kind of weird kind of issue where companies are trying to do the right thing to make us make us as riders more comfortable, but then there's another problem that we have inadvertently created this kind of disproportion of weight on the saddle, which then causes horses with back issues. So you, you, and my job as an osteopath is I'm coming along and I'm fixing the back issue. I'm kind of going, well, this doesn't make sense um, biomechanically. And then there's various other things which we are doing, which I'm desperate to kind of try and change is one of the big things is um, making padding accountable. Uh, uh, it sounds really weird. Um, and I don't mean on humans. Um, but what I mean is, is in, in engineering and uh, science, we have like materials, so like flocking and foam and various things like that. They have, they're man-made materials, so, or to a degree, they are man-made. Um, and what there are, there are, they all have a compression value. So they're all tested. Now, the thing is, is we don't do anything like that within the industry. We sit there and kind of go, well, hang on, we've, I've just flocked up the panel or I've just kind of, they've given me this panel, which is a foam. And you're like, well, okay, what, what compression value is that? You know, what, what is that closed cell phone, open celled foam, what, what's in it? But they don't tell you. So the problem is, is you're sat there kind of going, well, hang on, I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm, I'm very tall. I'm very heavy. I'm about 120 kilos. Now, a foam panel in a saddle is which is about two or three centimeters deep isn't in the most polite way possible is not going to be able to kind of handle i will over compress that foam and that means then that all of my weight 
is going into that horse. Now, if I'm, as we know through research, we know that your weight um, is then doubled in trot, tripled in canter, kind of four to five times your weight value, your beginning weight value in jumping, depending on the height of what you're jumping. So we know that equation. So if I know the material in the panel, I can then mathematically work it out and go, well, okay, I'm 120 kilos. Bradley, unfortunately, you're going to need about six to seven kind of centimeters of foam in order to, of this type of foam to compress. Now, everyone sits there and goes, well, that means you're going to be too far away from the horse. But you sit there and go, well, no, because if you're using this type of foam, its compression value will reduce to about a centimetre to a centimetre and a half. So you're working it out mathematically so that when you sit in the saddle, it is compressed to the same weight or the same depth as somebody who's half my weight because they would then have half the material and their compression value would be very, very much the same. So you can do all of this. So but does again, that mean that you're going to be able to choose what the flock is, whether it's going to be one thing or another, or have you chosen a specific thing that you like, you, you think is the best? No, no, no. It's it's not about one specific thing being best. Okay. It's it's truly not. There's a there's you there's a reason why we need options. Um, so there are certain materials which are really, really good for impact resistance. So there's a, there's a things called non-Newtonian foams which are foams which are really, really soft when you kind of put gentle compression into them. But when you hit them really hard, they go rock hard and they, they distribute force really effectively. They're in a lot of boots and things now, aren't they? Yes, like, yeah. like motorbike boots and yeah. kind of back support. But even, even horsey cross-country boots, I think, are now starting yes. to use that kind of stuff, yes, aren't they? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So there are yeah. certain companies which are using those. They're fantastic materials. But you sit there and go, well, why can't we use something like that in something, for example, like a show jumping saddle because of the impact. Now, you wouldn't want to use that in a dressage saddle because it's not under the same load and force and impact trauma. So you can you sit there and go, well, why can't we just be more geeky about material science? Um, you know, in terms of, you know, and again, I am controversial. I do kind of sit there and ask many, many questions why. You know, I the way I've developed this is because I turned around to saddle manufacturers and said, why aren't you doing this? Why why can't this be done? And they're going, oh, it can't be done. It's too complicated or it's, it's, you know, it just can't be done. People far more intelligent than you would have tried and you can't do it. And you sit and go, well, you're not giving me the answers why it can't be done. And the same thing with panels. Why can't you have a foam and the flock panel? Now, flock does a certain kind of benefit. And foam does a certain benefit. Well, why can't you have both? Yes, it's difficult. Yes, we're kind of sat there kind of going, well, okay, how are we going to stop the flock kind of in getting stuck in the foam? How are we going to stop all that? And that's just problem solving. But why can't you do that? And that's what we're, we're always trying to push the boundaries, always trying to kind of go, well, you tell us why it can't be done. And we'll accept that if it's breaking the rules of physics or the rules of science. Okay, I totally accept that. But if it can't be done because it's too difficult, it's not really good enough. <laughs> so you really are a disruptor in the industry then. I mean, this uh, is why yeah. we know that you went through some trade shows and bits and got some flack. And you're going to, aren't you? Because I can't imagine that when Apple released the iPhone, that everyone 
rolled over and said it was the best thing ever, did they? We know that it was a disruptor in the industry. It totally changed everything. And I think this is what we call a disruptor product. So Ooh, let's just, yeah. th- I mean, that's amazing. So we've, we, I know we've only scratched the surface on biomechanics and it may well be that we do another one where we talk about biomechanics and things like that. Um, but that kind of, I think, has helped people understand why and how you're looking at saddling from a very different perspective yeah. to, you know, traditional saddlers and things like that. And um, using science now, because it was never a science-based thing, was it? Let's face it, it was started off with a bit of leather pad over and it, it just kind of, they added bits on over the centuries and yeah. literally over the centuries. So why can't we now have more science in our industry? And, you know, we are seeing more science come in and, and more stuff that actually has been in other industries for donkey's years. It's just, you know, for some reason, ours is like 20 years behind everyone else. But I think people are now starting to realise that, okay, we've got two sentient beings involved here, but there's no reason why we can't use science to help them both. So that's the kind of the science bit before we go into so much more detail and stuff that actually we end up down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Let's now talk about a subject which I think is really fascinating. And there, are, there are a couple of questions coming in, and I will take them in the end, which is, so a lot of saddles nowadays, people are buying not just because of the brand, because they are told they fit, but because of the name. Or maybe because of a little bit of, you know, they want to be part of that group or something. There is a little bit of that that goes on with certain saddles or they want to be seen in the right thing or it's the latest, greatest next product or they can have bling on it or blue piping or, you know, um, or it matches something else or all of that stuff. Now, everything you've talked about in this saddle, I remember when you very first told me about it, I went, oh, God, that sounds like it's going to be really ugly. And that was genuinely my first thought. And I have genuinely looked at certain types of saddles in the past and gone, I quite like what you're talking about, but I could never sit in that. It's ugly. It looks to me like a remedial saddle. And now none of us, and and I've had remedial saddling from a horse, but I don't want it to look like it is, you know. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how this is going to look, what fashion is that drives the industry and why actually we've got to be a bit careful on that, but also about how actually this is going to pretty much look like an all saddle. I saw a, a really early prototype for it went oh well that's all right then that's i thought yeah. it was gonna be really ugly <laughs> yeah okay um so f- first and foremost um uh, let me let me kind of do a little it sounds really weird but a little quote by vivian westwood okay so fashion is very very important it's life enhancing and like everything that gives you pleasure it is worth doing well now that is the quote by vivian westwood beautiful woman kind of very very good at what she does now the the difficulty is is fashion is i'm gonna i'm gonna make it sound really horrible um is it is kind of like the dorian gray of the world um it looks beautiful on the surface but it is has a quite a dark underbelly behind it all and i i mean it in the most polite way possible because so let, so in order to help kind of explain a, a few things, I need to kind of just give you some details and some information. Um, and this is going to sound really weird. So there are 1.8 million regular riders in the UK. This information is from BETA, okay? So the British Equestrian, Equestrian Trade Association. There are 1.8 million regular riders in the UK. 66% of those bought a new saddle last year, okay? That means that is 1.18 million people or riders bought a new saddle, 
That so on average, a saddle via testing through beta on average is 819 pounds. Okay. We also know that buying a new saddle is not that, but on average, it's about 819 because it includes people buying secondhand and private selling and so on and so forth. So that means that the UK alone spent one billion pounds on saddles last year. Now compare that to 2011 when 33% bought saddles. So this is the ratio which we're seeing is it's 33% in 2011. It's 41% in 2015. And now it's 66% are buying new saddles. So we, because Beta That's does incredible. this. Yeah, so Beta does this kind of every four year cycle of a survey. And this is quite scary because you're sat there going, well, hang on, why? Because why are we buying more saddles? Why are we kind of doing, surely saddles should be getting better. Why is it, it's almost becoming a, a scenario. And if you look on eBay or Amazon or anything like that, you're, you're seeing saddles for sale all the time. So we have this kind of almost throwaway culture being encouraged within the equestrian world and the equestrian saddle world and leather world. So this means that we have this overproduction kind of scenario going on. You think of a saddle company, if they're just producing a generic standard saddle, they then have to produce a saddle to no measurements just just produce a saddle and then give it to a saddle shop but they're not just going to give one they're going to give like four or five then it's got to go to fitters so suddenly these companies are just having to produce saddles with no measurements no requirements nothing like that and then the saddles are being adjusted to fit the horse so it's never a bespoke process it is more of a kind of well we've made it and we just adjust it a bit it's like you buying a, a, a piece of clothing off the shops and then having it tailored compared to going to a shop and having a dress or a suit made to your measurements the principles and the processes are very different you know if you're getting a suit made or a kind of dress made you go you get measured first and then the garment is made and then you're remeasured again and the garment is adjusted. Whilst in the current principle, we are just getting a product, getting it measured to a degree, and then, then it's being adjusted. So the principle is very, very different. But you have then got this constant production line. And we're, we're seeing now is that people are just producing saddles and then trying to sell them. And then you're, you're, you're kind of going, well, I, I don't want it anymore. Oh, you can't adjust these saddles as well because they're almost too accurate. And you're sat there going, well, well, okay, so you've now got to sell that saddle to get another one. And then it's kind of like, well, it's, it, I, I don't like the color of that or I don't like the color of this and I want a new brand and this brand's really, really good and kind of so on and so forth. And we are inadvertently kind of creating a dependency on kind of the next new fashion now i could i could tell you how much saddle companies are making and compared to and it's vast sums it's really quite scary but then you look at things like numbers and kind of all of that matchy matchy stuff and then you look at their those companies accounts and you kind of go well Jesus, they're even making even more um 
and we've got this kind of process of production and you know you you just feel this compulsion this need to buy um to kind of be relevant and the, the thing is 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 there is a lot of kind of marriage between um kind of the what something looks like and what it represents in terms of power and kind of various other tropes in the most polite way possible um and that's well, where it's, if we it's look difficult at, if we look at cars don't we you know yes your car you're seen in so why do you buy the top end car it might have a few bells and whistles that you want but essentially it does the same job as something else but yeah. it's status and it's the same with riding isn't it if you've got the four and a half thousand pound saddle then you're just by sitting in it or being somewhere in it saying to people i'm successful look at me that that's the psychology yeah. of it isn't it the yeah. same thing and and that's 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 what I mean is we we are kind of inadvertently in this kind of weird dynamic kind of almost like a a, a cheetah and a gazelle race of constantly being being better and, and this is where you have a little bit of frustration or I do because you sit there and go the industry is ca playing catch up you know there as you kind of said earlier there are products out there and the industry other industries which are way ahead in their scientific knowledge in there the way they they're making products and their performance materials compared to kind of horse riding but that's also kind of mirrored within our athletes now i'm going to say this is very odd but you look at a sport like cycling or running or anything like that there is a high turnover of athletes, so especially the cycling world. So the a professional cyclist will only be at the top of their, their performance for about 10 years. You know, anything more than that is then kind of going, well, you're an old man now, Christ. Yeah. But the thing is, is you look at horse riding, you could be at the top of your industry for 20, 30, 40 odd years. Now that doesn't necessarily encourage innovation. That doesn't encourage kind of you to keep pushing those boundaries because once you're at the top you kind of go well I want to stay about here I need to kind of thing so what happens is all the companies then go to the top level performance riders and they stay there and the difficulty is is that you kind of go but this is not innovation you want to go to those kind of lower levels and kind of really push kind of the industry up and go Right, where were we, Brandy? We were talking about, I don't know, you can probably remember, I can't, fashion and how yes. it's being driven and you were just starting to talk about becoming a part of something and then my internet fell apart. Oh, <laughs> okay, go for it. Carry um, on, if you can. <laughs> I was going to say, I can't remember now. I was in kind of in full flow. You were in full flow. Uh, <laughs> I was just wandering off and then you just suddenly froze. Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was, I think we were talking about kind of the deliberate designed um obsolescence which yes. are in saddles um yeah. and that that is is was almost there's that's starting to happen which is uh, you think when you you start looking at the stats and you look at the numbers you start seeing this kind of 66 percent having to buy new saddles all the time now the, the you've got to also almost kind of look at something else which is why is that becoming normal um, and, and accepted, you know, there, there is this um, kind of syndrome or phenomenon, which is called the shifting baseline syndrome, which is basically where each generation accepts the normal situation which it is brought up in. So if you are 
kind of in an industry which is now starting to be the new normal of buying a new saddle every time then you do that and then that becomes your normal and then the next generation does exactly the same thing in the next generation so you've got this cyclical um kind of dependency going on um and again it's it's this kind of uh aspect where why why is that normal you know it shouldn't be it should you should be able to have um a product which is adaptable for a period of time and and this is this is why you know a we kind of ended up developing a two-part design because it means that there is longer longevity which ultimately means that if a product can last longer there's less wastage there's less of an environmental impact on the world on the horse community on the equ- on the horse involved the rider involved so you sit there and kind of go this from what we're, we've designed, it's not just as simple as, oh, it's a, it's a saddle and it's a two-part saddle. It means it's also, well, it lasts longer. So you get more, it has a, an environmental impact. It has a fashionable in, impact. You know, you, you sit there and kind of go, well, we could, to, to, if you wanted a saddle in a different color or a different beading or anything like that, then we can turn around and go, well, why don't you send your old saddle back? And we will literally just recover your saddle there's no point kind of going well we'll we'll make you a new saddle and you know x y and z you're like no keep it cost effective for you as a customer keep it cost effective for us keep it cost effective for the environment it's easier and cheaper to just send your product back we already have your measurements we already have the maths involved we can just basically pull up your file and make a a, a product in your color and your design and, and whatever in in just like that and we're still using the original tree we're still you know it's still yours so it's all it's all of these things really um but yeah that's that's awesome so you can you can have changes made to it and things like that now a lot of saddlers or you know saddle manufacturers will say well we can do that to ours as well you know like you know and also the quality of them can't be as good or the adjustability can't be there how can you have your cake and eat it how can you have all of these things so it's complete it's adjustable it's you know you can send it back and get things done to it. it's customizable you can change all this stuff if it were that easy why are people not already doing it and that's always a question when it comes to stuff like this isn't it yeah it's that easy why is everyone well the the thing is is again it is that kind of planned obsolescence you you kind of you you start a company you want to earn lots of money you want to sell 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 um the the thing is 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 fundamentally um what i would rather and this is going to sound very very odd um is that so for example it's it's breaking the rules of the industry. You you sit there and go that because that industry hasn't evolved, because that industry hasn't isn't progressing at the same rate. And don't get me wrong, it is changing, it is occurring, um, but because the industry is quite slow, the the changes and all of that is is equally as slow. You know, what we're doing is we are using a plastic tree now a plastic tree stereotypically is very hard very rigid but because we have made a plastic tree which is a lot thinner 
And we have broken, uh, gone right down into real basic engineering principles. Because the plastic is really flexible, it's a what we call a thermoplastic. It's not a thermosetting plastic. So that means we can heat it up, we can remold it, we can do all of those ty types of things. But because that's the equine tree, that's really flexible. Now we do the rider tree. Well, that's thicker, that's denser. So that, that, that will not bend, that is rigid. But again, it's, it's, I can't speak for other manufacturers. I sit there and go, well, if you can't, why aren't you doing this? I have those questions. I'm sat there going, because I'm continuously sat and, and testing the product. I'm testing my maths. I'm testing everything going, surely it can't be this simple. Surely it can't be this obvious or why, why can't we do this? And I'm, I don't, I generally, I can't answer that question for a lot of other people. I know what I'm doing and I'm sat there going, surely it's, it's the easiest, most logical thing for me. And I'm not the, the, the type of person who, who just wants to sell, 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 make loads of money. I would rather, and this is the funny thing is I say with the two part design um, and what I was trying to kind of allude to earlier is actually, if you've got a horse, which is growing and changing shape, a young horse, I will openly turn around to you and go, your horse is four, five, and six. Don't buy the bottom tree. Buy the top, which fits the rider, but rent the bottom. So what happens is you are renting the bottom half, and that means that we can take measurements, we can work with your saddle fitter, we can work with you, we can work with your horse to what works for them. That means that then you are not shelling out shed loads of money for customers uh, for kind of just one-off things. And then six months later, you're going to have to buy another one for another 2000 pounds plus blah, 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 blah. But you sit there and kind of go, no, rent it. And then as your horse grows and changes shape, we can take away the bottom and give you another one. And then when your horse is fully grown and mature, we go, right, well, now your horse hasn't grown for the last year and he's absolutely, he's not muscular, like he's muscularly growing, but is structurally the same will now buy one of ours and then you can work with that so you get all of these continual benefits for, for you and I, I don't understand I sit down with some saddle fitters and I'm like why don't you rent you know that would be the most logical thing when you've got young horses you sit there and go don't sell a saddle rent it and you could have a bank of trees for horses and just go yeah rent that one Oh, he's gone from a 16-inch tree to now a 17-inch tree. That's not a problem. Just, there you go, carry on renting, carry on renting, carry on renting. He's growing, he's changing, it's not a problem. You then create more of a, a closer bond and a community within the saddle fitter to the customer, the saddle fitter to the manufacturer, you know, the, the nutritionist, the trainer, the everybody. You want to create this community, and there's, this is where you kind of get quite amazed by the equine community. The equine community is so, it is a community, but there's, it's almost kind of like a family. Everybody argues. You all love each other. You all know how each other works, but you all have these little arguments and pithy things. And it is that kind of going, come on, we all need to kind of grow a little bit and start having that kind of mutual respect within each other and kind of go, look, I'm not going to encroach in your industry, but I want to understand it. I want to work with it. So then I can be better because ultimately not, not me to sound rude. It's, it's not about me. It's not about the other company. It's not about that. It's about the customer in the middle.
um like i i, I kind of created a, a almost like a diagram showing that you have all of these individuals these specialists around you and it's the horse and the riders in the middle you know you have your farrier you have your vet you have your saddler you have your trainer you know all of these people and that is your group and what they do is is they're focused on you um and it is that you, you we need that kind of cross communication um and the, the thing is, is, is that's certainly what I'm trying to do is, is create that kind of cross communication so that we can all talk. And that's why having common language like mathematics, you know, if somebody says to me, oh, I need a 17 inch tree. OK, not a problem. What twist width do you need? What kind of seat shape do you need? What, you know, just all of these things, all point designs, gullet bar width, gullet bar lengths, you know, everything tell me what you want i will go away and create it but if you don't tell me what you want and you say oh i want a 17 inch tree well that's that's not enough you know the devil is in the detail but the detail is also kind of liberating and kind of uh, i don't know how to express it really um but it's it's the detail is is very very important so talking about detailing and one of the things that you said before is that actually you can have whatever detail you want on them that's that's like as long as they fit and like you and the rider you can have a bit of bling you can have a bit of yeah exactly fine that's actually the easy bit funnily enough isn't it yeah exactly it is you, you sit there just kind of go I, I it doesn't bother us what something looks like i like I, I, i'm going to say this in a very horrible way i'm not an aesthetically driven person uh, i'm more in terms of function you know make it work i don't care if if it looks horrible it's, you know the car i drive and various things like that it functions it starts it stops it does everything i need it to do i don't care that it looks mucky and dirty and everything like that it's it's absolutely fine um and it's the same thing i i approach um kind of saddles or anything like that ultimately it doesn't matter if something has bling and del montes on it and various things like that as long as it works for the horse and rider as long as they're balanced as long as they are comfortable you know all of that is far more important to me as somebody who's going into manufacturing you know you can and always... yet to the rider they can have the bling yeah exactly <laughs> ultimately they can have the bling definitely so we some questions around this then are um what are the plans for jump saddles well i think the answer is yes <laughs> yes yes completely the, yeah. the the thing is is because i'm doing this myself um and quite literally um even business people have looked at me very very oddly and just gone why are you doing saddles and it, it financially doesn't make sense and blah 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 blah, blah. um and you sit there and kind of go but it's it's i've okay fine not a problem you know people have kind of just thrown in their two pennies worth and said no you know it's not going to work blah 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 blah. um but the the thing is so i'm having to do this myself so i'm having to pay for everything um so we've had to start with dressage um and then we will go once i've kind of got a little bit of kind of finances behind then we're going to go into jumping and then hacking and various things like that now that's where you would like the hacking saddle I'm really excited about. It sounds really weird um, because it is based off a Harley Davidson bike seat. I know that sounds really odd, but you look at a motorbike like a Harley Davidson, it has a huge vibration, but the seat is really, really deep. And you sit there and go, but 
it's also really comfortable to sit in. So why can't we have a hacking saddle, which is deliberately designed to be comfortable everywhere? So you can sit in it for two hours and go, it's like sitting in an armchair. I really like it. So I'm really excited for that. So I can kind of get people to go in, go out hacking and going, I actually feel really comfortable. And I don't have my bums hurting or my bits are hurting at the front and all of that. So you just sit there kind of go, I'm excited for that is, is more than anything else. Um, that so sounds yeah. awesome. I'd love a hacking saddle. I currently hack in my jump saddle because it's actually the best for his back. Yeah. But I have to put a seat saver on it if I'm going out for any period of time. So it's a jump saddle. It's not designed to be sat in. So exactly. a hacking saddle is incredible. And surely as well, from a biomechanical perspective, when you're hacking, you're going to be more chair potentially than you yes. would be. So exactly. you've got to take that into account as well. Yeah. Okay, so cool. So yes, there's lots of really cool stuff on the way. Another question then. Um, I don't know if you can answer this and we've only got a little bit of time, but I think it's called Jochen Schlies. Yes. Yes. And yep. he seems a disruptor as well. So what's the yep. comparison between his ideology and Ipertain, if you can answer that? Right. So um, actually, um, saddle fit. So Jochen Schlies, I have a huge amount of respect for. You know, he is um, a very much a disruptor. Um, uh, the the beauty about him is uh, obviously he is American. Um, I would love the opportunity to sit down with him. Him and me, we we have very similar values. We have very similar kind of uh, kind of the way we approach things. Um, he is approaching it from a slightly different angle in the terms of like, for example, he has uh, stepped points in terms of his trees design and everything like that. Um, I sit there and kind of go, brilliant, absolutely fantastic, amazing. Why can't we just add more science? You know, I'm looking at it more from the engineering perspective and kind of going, well, okay, this is the anatomy we have. We, um, why not make products much better and more efficient? Um, then he's kind of going, well, okay, let's adapt to the product as well. And I'm, I'm very much for both, actually. I, I don't think that one ideology is best for all. It's like I turn around and say, like our design of our trees uh, is designed, deliberately being designed for adaptability. So if somebody says, oh, I want a rounded point or I want a longer point or a shorter point, we can do that because it's not about the design for one design fits all it's about turning around and going okay you want a rounded point for that particular horse because it's got a certain muscular shape or anything like that we can do that if you have the shoulders in slightly different positions and they're asymmetrical well we can do a stepped point we can do that and and go into and and allow for stuff stuff like that and so i'm i'm a big advocate for people like schlees um and forward thinkers um and I think it's very, very good. There are one or two things where kind of him and me do kind of lock heads, but that's because of our theory and our principles. And that's not a problem. And it's not about judging or saying that one is better than the other. It's certainly not. Um, it's going, well, okay, I respect you for being different and thinking outside of the box and doing that. Well, because ultimately it's about the horse and the rider. It doesn't matter about your theory or you, you proving that you're better than me. I don't care. I just want horses and riders to be better. So, yeah. Cool. Okay. That's awesome. And interestingly enough, I'm sat here thinking, right, we've got to do just a one-on-one -on -one at some point Q&A about the mindset behind the man of Ipertain, because we talked all about the saddle today, which is cool. But there, there is an awful lot about your mindset, which has come from elite sport, which has come from 
you know um the people that you grew up with which has come from your your experience in the horsey world that's just fascinating so we've definitely got to do one of those at some point as well but yep. before we do the question that everyone is asking is these sound amazing they sound bespoke you can have what you want these are like you know they sound incredible they're going to be expensive though aren't they Right. So this is the one thing which everybody, <laughs> this is one thing which everybody says, they, they're kind of going, it, it's, it's got to be expensive. And you sit there and go, partly, yes, theoretically, it has to be. And partly, no. Why? Why do things have to be expensive? Um, you know, when you're making something from a mathematical measurement, it becomes easy. You're, you're, it's, it's that... You know, our tagline in, in, in our logo is craftsmanship engineered. You know, it is that we want that craftsmanship, but it needs to have a basis of science and engineering behind it. So you sit there and kind of go, it, it doesn't have to cost the world. But what you've also got to remember is when you get one of, say, our two-part design, you buy the equine tree and the rider tree. Now, when you sell that horse, that equine tree can go with that horse. So then when you sell that horse, that horse, you know, has a tree which fits it. So when you get a new horse, you're not buying a whole new rider tree. You are just buying the bottom half, which is half the cost. So you have this kind of almost added value long term. It's not that kind of short term kind of, oh, right, it's going to cost. 2000 pounds and i'm just saying that as a number i'm just saying but what happens is then if it if the total costs 2000 pounds and the top half is a thousand and the bottom half is a thousand when you get a new horse you have a new tree it's just a thousand pounds so it's it, this is what i mean it's that kind of long term effect and long term benefit which we want to provide now i'm just saying those numbers because it's easy in terms of actual final costings the other thing which I also want to turn around to people and say is you are not paying for functionality. You, if you want to have one of our saddles made in synthetic material and try and keep it as low and cheap as possible, not a problem. You still get the functionality, but later down the line, you may turn around and go, oh, I really want a leather saddle. I really want to have my name embossed on it because I've had this saddle for now for 10 years and I've done so much. And, you know, there's real memories inside of this. Then we turn around and go, well, okay, send it back to us. And then you pay for the upgrade of the leather. So what you're doing is you're paying for better quality material in terms of the leather. You know, if you want calf skin, buffalo calf skin or blah, 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 or bespoke beading and your name embossed on it and all of that type of stuff, then you pay for that. You don't pay for the functionality because ultimately, you know, we want these to work for you as well as well for us. I approach, you know, so I'm a therapist, okay? So my intention behind every treatment, every kind of, a, when I see a client, is to find the problem, fix the problem, and never see that client again. I, I call it the three Fs, and I won't say the F word on, on thing. But the, it's, no, it's- I, I did earlier. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's find it, fix it, and go away. Um, because ultimately, my goal as a therapist is if I'm not seeing my clients, that's a good thing. So it's the same similar principle with saddles. I don't want to be constantly selling kind of and repurposing new or like saddles over and over and over again. I want to be able to kind of go, right, you've got a saddle which works for you, you and it needs adjustment. So you have a better relationship with your saddle fitter, not the manufacturer. 
so it's a it's a weird sort of thing is that in in a weird sort of way if we're doing a good job we're almost putting ourselves out of business and it's a really perverse way and this might be the reasons why a lot of business people are looking at me going you're really weird but it's it's almost if you're approaching it from that point of view of the best job i can do is put myself out of business then that's a really good thing um, because I'm selling products which then you don't need more and more and more of. You know, it's that kind of fashion dynamic, you know, overproduction, overconsumption. Now, if I'm able to turn around and go, well, no, I just produce what you want at the time, bespoke product, it's, there you go. So it's a, it's a, it, that's why I say it's, it's a really weird thing. So in terms of costing, it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't do, but you, what, if you want, you know, bespoke buffalo leather, then that will cost. Of course it will. But if you want to start off really quite low, that's not a problem at all. So it sounds a bit like cars then, doesn't it? So you have your base spec model, which does what you need it to do. And, you know, hopefully if it's all comfortable and everything for you and and is right for the job, great. But then you have your different bits. If you want to add them on, you can spend as much as you want on it, quite frankly, by adding everything. But you don't have to in order to get a great saddle that fits you and the horse and is interchangeable. Yeah, I've I, like I'm 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 always kind of playing around and being nerdy and geeky. So I'm I'm sat there kind of going, well, okay, what if we can do this or put this into the saddle or like uh, you know, make it Bluetooth enabled and blah blah blah. But I know it sounds really weird, but you can you can put the kind of certain things in there. So like sensors and various things like that, and you sit there and kind of go, well, that's gonna if you want that, obviously you're gonna have to pay for that. But you wouldn't, you, you know, it, it, it's almost upgrades, you know, do you want like GPS locators in it and stuff like that? You know, you, you can do almost anything, but that's why I'm saying is why not do the sim, similar thing, which we do with cars is you kind of just have a spec and you go, well, okay, I want, you know, I want GPS in there. I want, you know, Bluetooth enabled. I want push start. I want this, that and the other. And as you upgrade it, it the price does go up, but you don't have to have that. And it does mean that you can have it later on. Yeah. And that's really cool then, isn't it? Because it then becomes something that you can add on to and what have you. And and so, but how come then? Because I know some of the super expensive luxury, particularly French brands are going to say, but it costs this much to make us, you can't possibly make a saddle, you know, cheap. It's a four and a half thousand pound saddle because of all the processes it takes time it takes skill it takes tra- you know tra- um skilled people to do it and to- that you can't possibly do this is what they're going to say isn't it and you're Absolutely. saying it, it, the thing is is that not me a sound rude it's kind of like buying um in the most polite way possible a uh, burberry bag um compared to another kind of uh, bag uh, and i'm going to say this in a very horrible way but they're all made in a similar factory um, in the most polite way possible. This is, and this is why I was going back to earlier, you know, the slight Dorian Gray element of the fashion industry. You, you turn around and go, well, I'm buying this brand. So obviously it is kind of time and it's honored and it's ethical and it's kind of, there's human responsibility to it. And actually you turn around and go, well, a lot of companies don't actually know where they're sourcing all of their materials. A lot of companies don't know that, you know, their actual products are made in a backwater country um, with very low human rights, with very low kind of, uh, kind of efficacy behind it. 
And there are big, big brands within the equine community which do that. And I'm not, you know, there was a paper released which showed certain companies which which did that. Even though they're they're fantastic companies and various things like that, there there is a slight kind of kind of darker underbelly to that. So you 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 have that now. I have no problems in turning around and going, well, I'm just going to be completely open and honest. You know, we get everything made in the UK. We have to because I'm doing the maths. I can't send that mathematical algorithm to a company in China or a company in India. I can't because they will get it wrong. They need me to turn up and go, no, actually, it needs to be 72 degrees and it needs to be this and that and the other. But you can do it because there is there's a huge amount of markup in the equestrian world and we all know that and we all kind of accept it to a degree but the scary thing is is that for example and a saddle to actually manufacture costs about 600 pounds a little bit more a little bit less depending now, if you're having, that depends on a wooden tree or a carbon fiber tree. Now, if you've got a carbon fiber tree, that take, that's a lot, that's very expensive. So that will cost a little bit more because of the intricate weave pattern of carbon fiber. But if it's um, a, a, a wooden tree, which is essentially plywood in the most polite way possible, steamed and bent and, and various things like that and molded, you know, you have to pay for the, for the worker's hours and, and so on and so forth. But you're looking at about that tree costing about, 80 odd pounds and then the leather work well your whole hide is about 300 pounds so all of a sudden you're now looking at well well, okay that's about 400 pounds then you've got hours well it takes about 10 hours to make a saddle average wage of a saddler is about 20 to 30 odd pounds okay so that's another 200 all of a sudden now you're at kind of essentially 600 pounds there you go bang so you you sit there and go and then you've got the markup you know in the in the jewelry industry there is a thousand percent markup on jewelry you know this is the thing is is you 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 understand it's kind of like buying a car as i say if you're buying a bmw or you're buying a ford they can still function the same they still do the same stuff you're just buying brands so you're just having that kind of brand loyalty they 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 take advantage of that you know um because we know that you're going to buy that brand so we just whack up the price you know and that's how they think um and it's not a judgment it's not a judgment that's that's what companies do um so it, that's the thing is that when you're disrupting not only are you disrupting kind of the mechanics the philosophy the theory the things you also disrupt the kind of efficacy of stuff as well. Now, the, the the funny thing is, is I've spoken to the Master Saddlers Association, <clears throat> um, and the the difficulty is, is that in in true honest, and I'm being truly honest now, is that British saddlery is struggling. British saddlery is dying out, um, and it's partly because we're losing a lot of. Um, kind of the knowledge and the true deep knowledge you know we're losing these kind of old knowledgeable individuals who've made saddles for decades and they just know the reasons why we do certain things but they're not telling the younger people you know people like myself i'm desperate i run around to all the old guys and go tell me tell me tell me i want to know now at times i've sat down had cups of tea with some very lovely old men and just pulled the picked and everything just like why do you do that why do you do stitching like that why are you ambidextrous why are you doing it's like because of straining and the t- stitching and so on and so forth um 
now the, the thing is is because British salary is dying out because of continental brands, which are mass marketing and doing all of that very clever business stuff. British salary is, is very slow on the uptake. And that's why I'm kind of going, well, okay, we need to not kind of fight fire with fire here, but we kind of need to put, no, British salary is very well known. It's very good at what it does, but it is being left behind in terms of innovation, in terms of kind of going forward. So that's why it's kind of like, well, okay, no, I've looked around and go, nobody else is doing this. We're all sticking to our traditional things and we've got to go out and we've got to go, right, okay, come on. British salary is the best. You, We do know stuff. We have hidden knowledge. Let's make it better than anybody else out there and let's break those rules which we have constrained ourselves by. Um, and and we're, we, you know, it's the typical British mentality of kind of going, well, no, we're playing by the rules. And you're like, well, yeah, but everybody else isn't. So why not let's just kind of go, let's kind of start kind of playing a little bit fire with fire here. Um, because we can do something which is way better than what they're doing out there. Um, and, and that's what I mean. You know, that's why I say about the Bluetooth thing and everything like that. You, you've got kind of very well-known French companies, which we all are, all know about, which are doing that. And you're going, well, they're doing it. Why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we, you know, oh, no, 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 no. We must be traditional. It must be, you know, like, no, come on. Get some fire in your belly. Get it done. So, yeah. So we can have, by the sounds of it, we can have science mixed with technology, mixed with something that looks gorgeous. If we want it to look traditional, we can. Or we can have it looking funky. And we can have all these added extras. And we can have it so that it fits us and our horse. And we only need to swap the bits that we need to swap. And we don't have to keep buying saddles. I mean, it's no wonder that this is a disruptive product, is it? Yeah. And, and I'm, you have really upset some people. I'm, I'm, I'm upsetting. Like, I, I will openly admit, I get e reg fairly regular emails um, and kind of phone calls and messages left by very shirty individuals, which are threatening, um, you know. And you sit there and go, I am not a threat to you. I am not. I want to make the industry better, you know, and don't get me wrong. I have approached a lot of these saddle companies individually and said, please, can we do this? Why can't we do this? And, and they didn't want to do it. And when you sit there and kind of go, well, if nobody's going to kind of take this forward, then I'm going to have to do it. And I, it's, you know, I, I love my job. I am an osteopath. I, I, I enjoy solving problems, puzzles. You know, that's what I love. And I'm kind of going, well, if you're not stepping up to the plate and you're not stepping up to the plate and I see an industry which is falling apart and I, I don't want that for the equine industry as a totality and the, the equine salary world as a totality, it's upsetting. So you sit there and go, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to become something which I don't want to be, which is a saddle manufacturer. I'm going to have to, um, because I'm going to, and you know, I have no problem with giving people knowledge and helping people and go, right, we, let's make things better. Let's make things measured and calculable. You know, if everything is measured and calculable, everything is accountable, you know, so we can then turn around. If somebody says, oh, the saddle doesn't fit, we can kind of go, right, is that because of the measuring? Was the measuring wrong? Or did the horse grow? Okay, right, because that's, then we can kind of go, or is that actually because of the manufacturing? Did we get the maths wrong? Did we get that? Did we make it wrong? That's not a problem. You, you don't treat accountability as a negative. You treat it as a positive. 
And it's that where you kind of go, great, I want to be wrong. You know, I, I, I actively seek people out to try and prove me wrong. And, you know, I want that. I don't want people to kind of go, oh, yes, this is amazing and wonderful. And, da, da, da. and you go, that's lovely. It's great for, from an ego point of view. But you sit there and go, I don't, I want people to turn around and go, no, that doesn't work. Okay, tell me why. Oh, that's because of X, Y, and Z. Okay, I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't think about that. That you is have... the ultimate growth mindset, isn't it? That is yeah. the absolute ultimate, and no doubt comes from you know your background as a, an athlete and having to learn and, and in an industry that you're in. Yeah. That actually, it tell me more. I want to learn from it. And it's okay if it's it's something that is is wrong or what. Okay, good. Tell me. You yeah. know, like I'm, I'm not going to grow by having smoke up my ass. No, exactly, and it, and that's what I mean. Is is it's approaching the industry is approaching everything kind of almost from a from a very humble point of view and going I do not I, I I'm very knowledgeable but I do not know everything I can't so so you know tell me where I can be better tell me where I'm wrong tell me where and if it, the difficulty is is that if you if you approach something with the with the point of view of uh, and you get angry that somebody's telling you that something's wrong that's that's your problem. That's your issue. That's your ego. You need to correct that because you need to kind of go, well, okay, they're trying to tell me something which they have knowledge in, which, you know, people don't tell somebody negativity. Sometimes they do just to be negative. Generally, they're trying to tell you negative things or so tell you what's wrong with something because they want you to be better. They're kind of like, I, I want, they, they want, everybody inherently wants everybody to be a little bit better. So you kind of go, well, okay, I need to take out what you're telling me to make me better, to make my product better, to make things better. You know, that's why I say accountability is not a negative. Accountability is, is actually a positive because you sit there and go, that means you can improve. That means you can be better. That means you can do certain things to kind of go, right, yes, brilliant. I got it wrong. Okay, let's learn. You know, it's like with children, you sit there and go, oh, I got a 10 out of 10 for this test. And you sit there and go, I'm really sorry. You know, I want like okay, get one out of ten, right? Okay, where you can improve on that, you can you can go somewhere, you can learn more. Is that? It's being it's it's that kind of mindset. Cool. We are going to have to do a, a mindset one at some point for sure because <laughs> I want to pick that brain. Okay. Well, thank you so much. We went a little bit over, but that's because we had a an interesting <laughs> yes. technical hitch in the middle. Um, apologies. I have no idea who heard or saw what. I don't think there were too many expletives, but <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you so much, Bradley. It's absolutely fascinating. Now people are going to want to know more about this. They're going to want to know when it's available. They're going to want to know how much it is. They're going to want to know how to get a hold of it. They're probably going to have a million questions for you. Yeah, so, yeah that's fine. Um, if they want to know more, how do they stay in touch with Ibertain and how do they follow the progress and get ready for the launch of this product? Um, right. So we are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Um, I, 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 I'm, I wouldn't say I'm brilliant at it. I, 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 it's not my realm of expertise. I will openly admit that. Um, it's because I, I, it sounds really horrible. I was never allowed on it because of my profession and, and various things like that, because um, 
I worked for some very high-ranking individuals in the world, um, so I can't. I, I'm still learning myself. Um, but yeah, those are the best places to get in contact. Or you. But you can, do have someone that's doing them for you. Though, I do have just somebody. So we to can do, be clear uh, here. You yes. have got excellent Facebook and yes. socials and Twitter and Instagram because someone oh, is God. doing them. Yes, <laughs> a, a lady called Katie. She does them. She. Uh, she's. she's Riviera. Yeah, yeah, Riviera. She. She is an angel. Um, I. I am internally grateful to her. She is just so kind. And that so was the best matchmake I ever did. Yeah. I was chatting to you one day, Bradley, when you were telling me about this thing and so you were getting to the point of you know launch need to think about actually now selling this thing or getting it out there and Katie was just launching her business and she's from a an engineering background in Formula One and what have you and you said oh you know I'm not really sure about PR it's not kind of like my thing and I went oh no you too yeah and it was the best it was match made in heaven I'm very yes. proud of that one yeah no it is I I am a, I am a grateful for that one because it's just so it I don't get it. I freely admit this. You know, I can, I can talk about very complex mathematics like hyperbolic paraboloids, which is three-dimensional mathematics and everything. Yeah, I know it's a very confusing. But it, you, I can talk about that and I understand that. And that makes perfect sense to me. Facebook, um, yeah, no, I haven't got a clue. So <laughs> it is, um, yes, um, we all have our niches. We are all very good at what we do. Um, and it's it's respecting those kind of niches and kind of going, okay, somebody's way better at it, get them to do it. It's just it's just so much nicer and kinder um, than me stressing out and kind of just waving my hands frantically in the air. Um, so, yes, so yeah. but people can follow you on your excellent yes, <laughs> social. Yes. So social we've got Ivy Take Saddles on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter, isn't it? Yes. Super. Okay. And they can also find out about more about Bradley Way and the osteopath, Bradley Way or the osteopath on your yep. website. Yes, well, I have a I have a website personally. It is very old, so trust me, it's it's kind of a thing. Um, and I do have an Ipertain website, but it is going to be updating pretty soon. So I, I, I threw it up very very quickly because, um, as, as I say, my brain doesn't work aesthetically, um, and it's all a bit gaudy and all sorts. There's two. It's it's getting sorted. So I know, <laughs> I know that much. Um, so yes, it's it's all there. Um, but the big thing is that if people want to get in contact, I would actually say, just get in contact. <clears throat> um, I will more than happy chat on people's phones and kind of just kind of have these conversations. Um, because there are questions which people suddenly go, oh, oh what about this? Or oh, what about that? And it's like, not a problem. Go for it. So Super. Thank you so much, Bradley, for that. And no thank you for bearing with us through the fun and games of technical. Got to love it. It's all part of the fun. It is, isn't it? It's all learning. We've yeah. all learned from that. Um, I've learned that my thing keeps streaming even through a power cut, which is impressive. Yeah. There we go. Um, so thank you so much, Bradley. People can get in touch with you and we will have you back at some point, um, potentially um, whenever the pitter patter of little feet might be. Uh, yes. A yes. Ending factor of that. So, yes. Um, very exciting cool okay well thank you so much we will um we will uh hopefully hear lots more and i hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as i did if you want to listen to more of them then please do follow us in apple in google and on podbean hack your mindset with jenny is the name of this podcast so please do subscribe follow us and we look forward to you listening into our next one bye everyone Who got this? Who got this?